The scripture for this morning is Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Philippians 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus and is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Please sit down. Will you bow with me in prayer? Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to look into your word We pray that this morning you would teach us, reprove us, correct us, train us in righteousness so that we will be equipped to do every good work you've called us to do so that we will do it for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The most famous partnership in the history of air flight is no doubt the Wright Brothers. Two brothers who were the very first to fly a manned, engine-run aircraft. And as they were getting towards the very end of building their plane, they ran into one small obstacle. They could not find a manufacturer to build them an engine light enough for flight. So after several discouragements, they finally turned to one unsung partner— in this momentous instance of history. They turned to Charlie Taylor. The Wright brothers owned and operated a bike shop to fund the expenses of their flight experiments, and Charlie Taylor was their mechanic. They said, Charlie, can you get us an engine? And in six weeks, he built an engine light enough to power that plane, and the rest is history. Philippians chapter 1 starts with one of the most famous partnerships in the history of spreading the gospel. Philippians 1 verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Just like bike mechanic Charlie Taylor, the Philippians are one of the unsung partners in this ministry that Paul and Timothy engaged in. 
In verse 5, he says that he's writing to them in joy, verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel. Just like the Wright brothers faced obstacles, so we as we try to push forth the gospel face difficulties, persecutions, sufferings. And Paul and the Philippians were going through these things. And yet they were engaged in partnership with the gospel. The difference, of course, is that the world wanted to fly. There were many people trying to engage in in flight back in the early 1900s. The world does not particularly want the message of the gospel. The message that Christ is Lord and we aren't. It is not something that they are craving. So the obstacles that we face are even more discouraging. Have you ever engaged in conversation and you notice an opportunity to speak about Christ in that conversation and you take that risk and that conversation turns into a debate or an argument? Or maybe you you see that opportunity and you hold back to avoid the difficulty, to avoid that opposition. Where does the encouragement come from when we face difficulty, opposition, and sharing the gospel? That encouragement comes from partnership in the gospel. And that's how Paul starts off this letter to the Philippians. Partnership in the gospel. Our series is entitled Joy. And this letter is famous because it always talks about joy and rejoicing. What we're going to see today is we can experience joy even in the face of persecution and opposition towards the gospel when we partner together, when we join up and team up together. So first, we're going to do a little intro and look at what's going on in Paul's life, what's going on in the Philippians' life, and then we're going to explore that partnership that they had together so that we can copy it, and apply that to our lives. So first of all, Paul. What's Paul going through as he writes Philippians? He's in jail. He's in prison. So we see in chapter 1, verse 7, he says uh, that you are partakers of me in grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He's waiting in Rome to hear a verdict of whether he will be executed or set free. Talk about an emotional roller coaster. That is, is, is one or the other, and he is writing to the Philippians, still waiting to hear from that verdict. The Philippians are facing persecution of their own 500 or so miles away in Philippi. Philippi was a very patriotic city. It had the highest level of status that a municipality could have in the Roman Empire. It was governed by Roman law. And even the architecture, the way the city was laid out, And the way the buildings were built was meant to copy what Rome was like. So you can imagine what kind of opposition the Philippians would face when they start to declare that Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. So this is what they were experiencing. And yet, they both maintain a tenacity to spread the gospel and to share the gospel. And that's because they were partnering in the gospel. What did that partnership look like? How do we do that? How do we partner in a way so that even in the face of suffering, we stick with it? We don't pull back. Three things. The first one, verses three through five. You must partner in the gospel for the long haul. For the long haul. 
Philippians 1, verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The long haul, from the first day until now. Paul was about to write out a prayer for the Philippians, and he immediately digresses into the reason why he's able to write this prayer with such joy, even though he's in prison. I can just see the annoyed looks on the, on the guards' faces as Paul is writing this prayer with joy and his chains are chinking annoyingly. And they're like, why is this guy so excited? He's in prison. He should be so discouraged. And yet Paul was writing with joy because of the partnership he experienced with the Philippians. And this uh, partnership that he had with them because of the partnership in the gospel, this word partnership, it, behind this word is the famous word that we usually referred to as fellowship, koinonia, fellowship, partnership. This word back in New Testament times was most commonly used in the context of business ventures. So if you had a joint venture with somebody, then you had a partnership or a fellowship. And Paul expresses this idea later on in chapter 4. He talks about when he was laboring side by side with the Philippians in the gospel. Or later on when he says that the Philippians had partnered with him in giving and receiving to support the ministry of the gospel. This was a partnership. That was what their fellowship was all about. And even here, we see that this partnership is in a kind of financial uh, context because what he is talking about, what he's referring to with this partnership most recently is the support that the Philippians had sent from their town all the way over to Rome to take care of Paul's needs. You see, back then in their uh, prison system, they didn't have a cafeteria where you could go and bring your tray and get food. They didn't supply, for, supply any of your needs if you were incarcerated in the Roman Empire. You relied on friends and family to send you provisions so that you'd be able to take care of yourself while you were in prison. And that's what the Philippians had done. They sent Paul a a bunch of money to take care of his needs. In chapter 4, he says that you have given me everything I need, that I am well supplied, full payment and more. So Paul had everything that he needed from the Philippians because of the partnership they had in the gospel. And this partnership, this most recent installment of it, that is, is just the latest instance that was a long line of teaming up for gospel ministry. He says that they've been partnered from the first day until now in verse 5. When Paul says the first day, he's talking about the first day that Paul went into Macedonia to spread the gospel. He goes in, he starts preaching the gospel, and a wealthy businesswoman named Lydia hears it and believes. She goes home. She shares the gospel with her family, and they all believe too. Because of their gospel ministry while they're in Philippi, Paul is thrown in jail. And they share the gospel with the jailer. He becomes a Christian. He goes home, tells the gospel to his family, and they all believe as well. So from the very first day, these Philippians were engaged in sharing the gospel. What an application for us. That the moment we believe is the moment that we are enlisted in gospel ministry. You don't have to wait until you learn everything. Nobody ever learns everything about the Bible. You don't have to necessarily wait until you go through training, evangelistic training. 
If you know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he rose again, that he's coming back, and that he's working in your life today, you have all the evangelistic firepower you need to get witnessing. That's what the Philippians show us. From the very first day up until this point that Paul is writing, they're partnering with him in ministry. But it's a partnership in the face of opposition, in the face of suffering. So what is it that keeps you going forward with that mission, with that priority, even in the face of difficulty? We see that in verse 6. It says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. See, not only have the Philippians teamed up with Paul for the long haul, Jesus teams up with us for the long haul. For the Philippians, the first day until now. For Jesus, the first day to the last. The day of Christ Jesus. He continues to work in us, shape us, and fashion us after his image. This is the past, present, and future of the gospel. The past that Jesus saved us, the present that he's working still in us, progressing us in the walk, following him, and in the future that when he returns, he will finish that work and will complete what he started. See, knowing that Jesus is always going to be working in us for the long haul is what empowers us to serve the ministry of the gospel for the long haul. And if we do that for the long haul, we are sure to face ups and downs. Times of difficult sowing, times of joyous reaping, times of unhindered proclamation, times of persecution. And so what we see, secondly, is not only do we need to partner for the gospel for the long haul, but we also need to partner in the ups and the downs. That's what the Philippians did. Look with me in verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. The downs in my imprisonment and in the defense of the gospel. The ups, the confirmation of the gospel. We must partner in the gospel in the ups and the downs. So Paul is in prison right now. That's not stopping the Philippians. They're still supporting him. There were some times when he had to engage in difficult defense of the gospel. You think of uh, in the synagogues as he traveled through Europe, always facing persecution from the Jews, the Jewish leaders. Uh, defending the gospel at Mars Hill with the philosophers. Defending the gospel even in other courtroom situations. Uh, in front of Felix and Festus, Roman authorities who were questioning him about Uh, what has happened to him and why he is preaching the gospel about Jesus. Defending the gospel. But there are some good times too. It wasn't just when Paul sent the I really need help prayer letters that the Philippians teamed up. They teamed up with him all the time. Confirming the gospel. Think of Acts uh, chapter 9. Just after Paul, just after Paul uh, became a Christian, he's there, Luke writes, Uh, confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ, confirming the gospel, validating its truthfulness, even to the Jews, proving that it was true. They partnered in the ups and the downs. And the result of this 
is a great bond of affection that the Philippians and Paul shared. We saw it in verse 3. He's making his prayer with joy. We see it in verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. Verse 8, for God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection, the affection of Christ Jesus. Where does affection like this come from? Partnering together, no matter what kind of season ministry that you're in. When I was a senior in high school, I took one of those classes you take that's really easy because you're so burnt out on high school. I took pottery. Um, None of my pieces ever made it into the display case in the hallway. But what I do remember from pottery class is this one technique for bonding two pieces of clay together. It's called score and slip. If you just take two pieces and try to like rub them together, you put that in the kiln and you fire that piece, it's going to fall apart. So you have to score and slip the pieces before you put them together. So scoring refers to this fork-like tool that you take and you scrape up both pieces of pottery. You put grooves in both of those. Then the slip is a concoction of clay and water, glue-like substance that you dab on both sides, then you put it together, rub it over. And the slip, as it fills the grooves on both pieces and fills the space between both pieces, provides a bond that will be able to go into the kiln, be fired, and it'll come out in one piece. What is that glue that holds us together as we're getting scraped up in gospel ministry? It's God's grace. Look in verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace. The grace of God fills our wounds, fills our scrapes as we suffer in our partnerships for the gospel. But that grace binds us together. It glues us together so that matter, no matter what we face, in the ups, in the downs, we will stick with it. We'll stick with each other and we'll stick with the mission. Now talking about this partnership between Paul and the Philippians, up until now we're talking about the Philippians' partnership with Paul. They sent him supplies. They partook with grace with Paul. Now in verses 9 through 11 we see Paul's partnership with the Philippians. He prays for them. And this is the third way that we must partner together in the gospel. We must partner in prayer. We must partner in prayer. This is a feature of the partnership that the Philippians and Paul shared in chapter 1. So Paul, he's praying for them in verses 9 through 11. In chapter 1, verse 19, he talks about their prayers for him. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So prayer is a way that they've been partnering together. And what we might expect Paul to pray for the Philippians is that they would continue to spread the gospel. That it would continue to go out with power and with boldness and with success. But really what Paul actually prays for the Philippians here is not that the gospel would go out from the Philippians, but that it would go in to the Philippians. This is something that we need to do for each other. Is pray the gospel into each other. So that we have the passion that it takes to spread it out to our neighbors and our family and those who don't know the Lord. How does Paul pray the uh, gospel into the Philippians? 
He prays love into them. Look in verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Does that mean more affection, more compassion, more emotion? Actually, what it means is uh, more wisdom, more cognition. Paul goes to the head in order to fill up the Philippians' heart. Look how he says that this love will abound more and more. How does that happen? End of verse 9. With knowledge and all discernment. With knowledge and all discernment. Whenever Paul uses this word knowledge, he's talking about knowledge of God every time. Knowing who God is, knowing what he's done for us, being able to recognize our sin in light of our knowledge of God, being able to uh, know the truth of God. That's what Paul is talking about when he says knowledge. And as we fill our minds with the knowledge of who God is and what he's done for us, it then abounds in our hearts with love back to God and back to others. We need knowledge if we're going to have a proper sense of love. But then also he says discernment. All discernment. When this, when this word discernment is used in the Bible, it means being able to assess the situation that you're in and then act in the proper way that that situation requires. So as our love abounds more and more with discernment, we'll be able to tell if this situation calls for tender love or tough love. With knowledge, with discernment. And as we grow in wisdom, and as our love abounds more and more, the final result of that love is that we are able to make good, wise choices. Verse 10. When your love abounds, so that you may approve what is excellent. So that you may approve what is excellent. We all have some operating standard by which we judge what is good and what is bad. And that standard will be either one or two things. It will be either your love for God or it will be your love for an idol, something in this world that you cherish above everything else. So if you love sex most and you're dissatisfied in your marriage, you may approve divorce as excellent. If you love money most, and it all gets flushed down the toilet, you may approve suicide as most excellent. If you love your plans and your goals for the future in your life, and you end up with an unwanted pregnancy, you may approve abortion as excellent. See, this is what our idols do to us. They deceive us so much that we will even think that the worst Things in this world are excellent. Do you have any big decisions to make? What is driving your thoughts about those decisions? Love for God because of what he has done for you or love for something in this world. So we need to abound in love through knowledge of God so that when we face decisions in life, we make those decisions in a way that it expresses God's love. Because the consequences for our decisions that we make are far, more far-reaching than we usually remember. Look how Paul ends this prayer. He goes back to the last day, to the day of Christ. 
What's the goal of this love? What's the purpose of this love that results in us being wise to make great decisions? The goal, verse 10, is so that we would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. We will be pure because our decisions made out of love will not be made out of insincerity or pretense. It won't be hypocritical. We'll be blameless not only because of Christ's atoning sacrifice for us and our faith and trust in him, but because of the, uh, the genuine nature of, of how we conduct ourselves in life. But our purity and our blamelessness at the day of Christ is the fruit. It's the overflow of being filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. You see, the, the righteousness of Christ, that's the root for the fruit of our good works. So often we get this backwards. We think that if, if I do good works, then I will be righteous. It doesn't work that way. Christ's righteousness imparted to us by the Holy Spirit, imputed to us by virtue of his life, death, and resurrection. That accomplishes our righteousness for us. And then out of that righteousness, we can then live a pure and blameless life that eventually results to the glory and praise of God. See, we can't take credit for our good works if they're on account of Christ's righteousness. So all praise and all glory goes to God. And as we pray these kinds of prayers into each other, the gospel will be something that we cherish more. It will be something that we are more passionate about. And our partnership will then be that much more effective as we push the gospel forward. Steve Jobs, when he was working on the very first Mac, he was looking for that kind of passion. He would put the box, the computer, on a table. And when he was inviting people to to join the team that was working on this secret project. He had a sheet over the machine. And they would walk in, and he would rip the cover off of that computer. And he was looking for their reaction. Was it an impassioned reaction, or was it an apathetic reaction? Were they amazed at the beauty of this machine? Were they amazed at what this machine could do? If so, he he invited them to join the team. If not, he impolitely excused them from the room. In the same way, when we are impassioned over the beauty of Christ, when we are passionate about what he can do, what he has done in us, what he will do through us, that will motivate us, that will give us everything that we need to join together, to partner together, no matter what we face, no matter how long it takes, and prayerfully relying on the dependent, being dependent on God to do that in us and through us. When we do that, No matter what we face, we will push forth the mission of the gospel through the partnership that we share. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, for how it challenges us, how you've saved us through it, how it reassures us of your promises, and how it helps us to obey and glorify you. Would you please do this in us and through us? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.